This episode of The Interface, I chat with Carlos Diaz de Leon, our electronics product line manager for Casco Automotive Group. Carlos has been with Amphenol for two years after spending the early part of his career with General Motors and other automotive manufacturers. We talk about his excitement for Casco's successful and game-changing two kilowatt inverter for the automotive market. We talk about how his past experiences working with major OEMs helps him at Casco. We talk about his favorite desert island music, book, and movie. And Carlos explains how tequila inadvertently fueled his current hobby of competing in Ironman triathlons. This is The Interface. Carlos, first of all, you and I have never met before, but we're, we're meeting today uh, virtually for the first time, which is uh, seems to be the case for a lot of the, the podcast guests and people with Amphenol lately, but understandably so. Uh, just to learn a little bit about you, though, and uh, talk to to you today, again, branching out into some more areas of Amphenol into the automotive section again. I talked to Scott Brown a few weeks ago uh, as part of the Interface podcast for Casco. Uh, the Casco Auto Group, and now we have you. So, Carlos, what do you do for Casco? Well, nice to meet you, Chris, again, uh, virtually. Yes. In the, the new normal for everyone, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I'm the product line manager for Power Electronics with Casco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm located in Novi, Michigan. My main focus as a product line manager with Casco is to secure uh, growth and profitability. I'm the owner of the electrical and power electronics roadmap. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, I'm in between a link uh, between engineering and, and sales right. to make sure um, we are developing the products that are going to meet customer expectations for the future. But at the same time, um, we want to be profitable, right? So yeah. I had to make sure we are selling and developing the products that are going to make uh, Casco, therefore Anfenol, uh, a profitable company. So give me some of the highlights of the, the product highlights that you manage then. Well, I really love my my job as a product line manager um, because I do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're in a conception and launching a new product. New F-150 with, with Ford uh, is launching production with our component. And thankfully for us, uh, Ford has been doing a great job advertising and marketing this component is a two kilowatt inverter. Mm-hmm. Basically, mm-hmm. on if you buy a pickup, uh, you will have power availability of uh, two kilowatts in your truck. So, if you own a construction company or if you are someone that likes to do camping or glamping, where everybody is doing <laughs> as well now, right. uh, you will have access uh, to two kilowatts out of your vehicle. And that's our component. So, Casco Power Electronics. You, we specialize in power conversion products. Um, we go from 400 watts, and I don't know how familiar you are with inverters, but basically it's like, you know, those little outlets that you see in some of the vehicles, the SUVs or the pickups that you can plug in your laptop. Right. We're basically trying to simulate those uh, house conditions into your vehicle. Um, we believe, or I believe as part of uh, the product line and owner of the roadmap, that with all driving assistance, uh, autonomous driving, right now that uh, remote office, yeah. um, you will need more power available into your vehicles. So that's what we are developing. We're developing towards the future to to, de- to give that uh, accessibility of power to, to the customers. 
And it's been successful so far? Very successful, uh, very challenging as well. Uh, every challenge comes with a lot of lessons. Because all the marketing that Ford is doing, we've been getting a lot of calls from different OEMs. Yeah. Uh, everybody, everybody wants to catch up. Because now you put, in, uh, you put yourself in the shoes of a construction company that you have three different trucks. You're talking about the main three, o three OEMs in North America. So you have a Ram Charger, and then you have a Silverado, and then you have a F-150. Mm -hmm. Ram Charger and Silverado will give you 400 watts uh, as a base. And the F-150 is going to give you two kilowatts. Wow. Yeah. If you, if you own a construction company and uh, you need to carry your, uh, your compressor or your transformer into their vehicle, but suddenly you have that, that access, that, that, that power, I mean, it's a no brainer, right? Right. Here in downtown Detroit right now, there is a bunch of developments going on and I do a little bit of networking uh, with the community. And also it's interesting for me to actually see what is the end goal and how the customer is going to accept this. So I've been talking to a few people that own a construction company and I'm not going to say any brands, right? But they told me I am a hardcore follower of this brand. Yeah. But now if Ford is offering me this, I've been thinking twice to keep buying the same brand if I can get access to this much uh, power. So um, if you could put that into perspective then, two kilowatts out of this, what could you... Like, what could you potentially power with two kilowatts coming out so, of the vehicle? The way that the, the way that we are trying to use this as a leverage with other customers is exactly that. Try to simulate business cases. Mm -hmm. So, imagine um, you are a construction uh, company, mm -hmm. and then you drive on the road with your electrical saw on the back. You arrive to the construction uh, job site. You park the vehicle, you leave the vehicle idling because you need to keep charging the battery that where the power is going to come from. You set up your, your job site, you connect the electrical saw, which is uh, 1.5 kilowatts. Then you connect your laptop because you need to send emails or watch YouTube, uh, <laughs> whatever you got, you want to do. Construction and, uh, videos on how to, right? how to build. Yeah. Uh, do it yourself type of videos in YouTube. And then uh, you connect your phone charger. So right there, you have around uh, 1.8 kilowatts. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, a, that's a use case that is very, I would say, normal mm -hmm. or common. Mm -hmm. to have. Then you're driving an SUV. You're on a family trip, uh, married, two kids. You see well all my imagination go. But you, married, two kids, and then you're driving up north. That is a six-hour drive. Mm -hmm. Uh, on the back of your vehicle, you connect a mini fridge for snacks, which is around 400, 500 watts. Then you have one kid that is four years old and six years old, and you want them to, to play the new uh, PlayStation. Mm -hmm. So you can connect the PlayStation on the back with the TV. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you and your wife are charging your phones. So right there is about 1.4 kilowatts. There are many, many cases like that. Uh, this is for a, a family. This is for a construction. We have also the utility vans. You know, all these vans that right. uh, they go on BTE uh, or, 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 or Comcast to fix your cable or, or electricity, the same. You have, you have that power that is going to enable you to use all those tools. 
one of the things that uh, one of my friends that owns a construction company was telling me is like after eight hours in the job site, uh, your arms are super tired, but then you still have to carry all these w- long wires that uh, for your um, compressor. Mm-hmm. That so just to do this type on the on, on the wire um, is, is just hard. But if yeah. you have all that yeah. access, all the tower access, uh, you don't need to carry that much wire. Sure. I would say that's our main product right now, the two kilowatts. Mm-hmm. And we're offering that in different topologies. Uh, so 12 volts, with, which is the general topologies uh, on the vehicle, uh, 24 volts mm-hmm. and 48 volts. Yes, with 48 volts, uh, we will have more power. So uh, two kilowatts is just the start. Mm-hmm. We are developing 3.6 and 7.2 kilowatts. Wow. So you talked about the challenges associated with this product development too. Just as some generic highlights of that, what were some of the challenges that you and the Casco team had to overcome to develop these, this new product line? I will say the big one and, uh, and not sounding disrespectful with the customers, uh, (laughs) because of course they, they put the food in our mouth, but being this a new product, they don't really know what they are doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's also a new product for us as well. So all those learning curves, since they, they are releasing a new specification, but then along the way they realize that's not feasible or that is going to cost too much or that is too big. We had to adapt the development. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I mean, we're a service supplier for, for development and we want to make the customer happy. And not only make the customer happy, but we want to develop a product that is going to perform the way that's supposed to perform at a highest standard of quality. So the main challenge is being able to have that quick turnaround in between the specification and then change the development suddenly. Mm-hmm. Having two kilowatts inside the cabin, if you have an efficiency of 90% of your components, that means that you need to dissipate 180 watts of heat inside the cabin. So one of those big challenges is how are we communicate these needs to the customer and how the customer is going to be early enough in the development to make those adaptations into their system. Mm-hmm. Before joining, to, joining Casco, I don't know if I told you this, I, I was working for General Motors for three and a half years yeah. and I was part of the advanced development team for, so our team, we were developing prototype vehicles for 12, 24 and 48 volts for, it was 2019 at that time, 2018 to 2026, 2027. Mm-hmm. And it is very important to, to have a broad view of the system, how you want to integrate that into the system. Mm-hmm. So now having this product, um, the two kilowatts, new development with no specification from the customer, uh, the main challenges is basically what is, you have to be ready for the unexpected. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I love about uh, working with Casco is uh, we don't have a lot of layers, so we move very fast. I worked in my career with other suppliers, I'm not going to say any names, suppliers and and, uh, OEMs as well, that with a lot of layers, it's just, you just move slow. Yeah. Not because you want to, it's because you have to, right? Sometimes the main leader for development is on vacation and he has eight weeks vacations and you need to to until they, they come back for you to make a decision on development versus casco 
it comes all the way to the bottom in one day, and the day after you're already working on that. So it's it's really fast paced. Yeah. That also makes us very appealing to the customers. That's why the customers are calling right now to to us because they say, okay, we know that this customer already have this out there in the market and we need to catch up. And they know that if they go with the big suppliers, it's going to take it longer versus if they go with us, uh, they're going to get the same quality of product with a much more faster pace. Let me back up for just a bit because I know you're in Michigan. That's where you're based in right now. And you said you're in Detroit. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say your accent is in a native Michigander. So <laughs> British. It's British. From, uh, yeah, I wasn't from, sure if it was that or French. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, just uh, to, I know you said you you came originally. You're from Mexico. So just tell me a yeah. little bit about how you made it from Mexico to Michigan. Yeah. So um, I'm currently living in downtown Detroit. Yeah. Uh, I came uh, from Mexico. I w- actually I came from France at that time, but I'm originally from Mexico nine years ago. Okay. I was working for Valeo. Uh, Valeo Electrical Systems. They have a manufacturing plant and what they cost, uh, what, what they call a low-cost engineering support center mm-hmm. um, in Mexico, which is basically uh, you have a development and laboratory and design on site with the plant. So I was working there for four years, uh, between there and France. Then I got a call from my former boss at the time. And he told me, do you want to go to Detroit? Because we need an on-site resident engineer for the General Motors account. Mm-hmm. To be honest, my first response was, no, not really. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you very much. Uh, I supposed to go to China to, to lead the SQE activities that we were doing with our suppliers, electronic suppliers over there. So that sounded more appealing for me at that time. And he told me, come on, just one year. And I said, well... No, not really. And then, okay, six months. So I said, yes, uh, why why not, right? So mm-hmm. I didn't even speak English at that time, so I, I don't know why they sent me over here. But uh, the, first, <laughs> the first months were a little bit challenging, uh, So especially because I was an uh, on-site supplier with General Motors. So I started uh, in heavily English lessons and watching a lot of movies with subtitles so I can understand what they're saying and um, so I make my way here with an L1 visa which is an international sponsorship visa. I work with General Motors for four years as an on-site supplier and then the General Motors team that I was working with uh, they offered me a position to be the advanced technical lead for the electrical vehicle topologies. So I made a jump from from Valeo to to GM, which uh, it was not easy. Yeah. Especially yeah. because the plant, the manufacturing plant for Valeo was in San Luis Potosí, Mexico, which is my hometown. Mm-hmm. So I will say I was a secure trip back home. I have one brother, one sister, two nieces, and two nephews, and both of my parents. It was. I mean, you know, Mexican culture, you are very close to the family. So right, right. that was a nice thing. So jumping to General Motors, it was uh, caught in the umbilical cord uh, after four years, especially when I came only for six months, right? <laughs> yeah. 
So I worked with General Motors. I decided to jump uh, to do that. I loved my time over there. Uh, the team that I was working there was very knowledgeable. I learned about, a lot about integration. GM is a huge company. They have a, a lot of infrastructure that allow myself to to learn how to move around a big system. Yeah, yeah. Having those big meetings with the VPs and executives and how you need to prepare your executive summaries. And then you are in a two hours meeting, but you only have three minutes to present your idea. And then you need to get a yes or no after that. Mm. So how to become more efficient with the communication, how to deal with the suppliers. Uh, I was also in charge for motorsports. Yeah. So we were developing all the charging systems for NASCAR. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And then suddenly I got a call from a headhunter um, after three and a half years working with General Motors. They had this opportunity as a product line manager with this company called Casco. It was uh, not an easy decision, to be honest. Um, sure. Especially all my family, you know, GM is a big company and uh, everybody's like, everybody has this idea that once you reach working for the OEM, you are set, right? But um, I say, no, I really want to go to this company. I mean, it seems that they have a very interesting things for the product line. They belong to this uh, bigger corporate uh, uh, called um, Anfinol. So I think it's a secure company. And, um, you know, my mom is, are you sure that you really want to move and leave General Motors? <laughs> 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 I say, come on, don't make my life more difficult, right? Yeah. So, so I'm... I can tell now after two years that I'm so happy I made that decision to move to Casco. It's been a home for me that it's been challenging me in a day-to-day basis. I love the co-workers. Um, uh, it's a fast-paced company. Yeah. Even though probably I look a little bit old, I'm not that old. Well, I'm 36 years old. This is a time for me to challenge myself and, and not not get to a comfort zone, you know? So, yeah, so that's how I came nine years ago. That must have been, I can imagine how, you know, I'm sure your mom was probably more for family reasons that she wanted yeah. you to stay, but I can completely understand. I think probably the the natural default instinct is you're at General Motors. What do you, what do you want to leave for? I mean, this is one of the exactly. most established uh, companies in the entire world, and you want to go to a company that you've never heard of uh, that is part of a corporation that sounds like a pharmaceutical company. That, uh, <laughs> like, that's what they say. <laughs> yeah. That, well, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to do that? So, what was it when you saw the opportunity for Casco that was attractive enough for you to say, I think I want to take this leap? Well, all, all, my, all my career, um, so I just studied physics engineering. Okay. And I did a major in, in electronics and then instrumentation and control. Then Baleo, I was working at the lab, and then at GM, I was working in design, the electrical topology. So I've always been on the engineering side, and I wanted to get a little bit more grasp on on financial and, and costing uh, and all that. So that was one of the features of the role that was were very attractive to me. I see. Uh, how can I start building a bridge in between engineering and, and, and business? Since day one, I've been challenged to learn more and more on, on, on business. I've been taking a, a few classes on, yeah. on that. At the beginning, I said, well, what are you talking about? You know, but uh, <laughs> now, I, I think that was one of the, the, the main reasons, just to 
get a little bit out of engineering to get more experience. And uh, once you have this, uh, I would say, multitasking, multi-experience uh, brain, that will enable enable you to make more business-oriented decisions and more, more practical and, and logical. I mean, now for me to make a business decision, but having all the engineering background, I think uh, the steps to make that business decision will be more solid. So it gave uh, you a chance to broaden your business perspective uh, right. more so yes. than you probably would have getting through the multiple layers of GM to get there. This is a exactly. way to do it with a smaller, more nimble, more flexible company in a quicker fashion. Yes, I mean, uh, and I, I love the supplier uh, um, role, honestly, because we are the ones that we do actual engineering. Mm -hmm. OEMs, they do great job integrating all to the systems, but they are focusing to do a system integration, right? Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I, I'm glad I got all that experience because I know where our product is gonna go to, and I know what the customer wanna see and what they want. But um, suppliers, we are actually the ones that own all the know-how. Yeah. And yeah. especially in a company like Casco or, or, or Anfenol that you don't have a lot of layers, you have to do everything. Right. So mm -hmm. sometimes I'm a test engineer, sometimes I'm a program manager, sometimes I support <laughs> purchasing or sales or product line manager or uh, everything. So um, I love that feeling. A couple interesting things I think you probably bring, though, too, to Casco, which I'm sure they're thrilled with. One is your knowledge of how this all comes together at the system integration level from the, the large OEM. But in addition, like you talked about a little bit earlier too, having been in some of those discussions and been in some of those high-level discussions with GM, for example, and knowing how you have to prepare for meetings with them and proposals for them and how you really have to make sure that your executive summaries or, or, or whatever it is that you're presenting is, is very tight, very succinct, it's to the point, and you don't really beat around the bush too much, you get right after it. Have you brought a lot of that? Have you, or have, I should say, have you been asked to bring some of that knowledge to what you've been doing with Casco in your short time with them? Yeah, um, I think so. I've been, uh, we have some of these uh, templates for executive summaries. Yeah. My former boss at General Motors, she told me, uh, when you send an email, just take into account that people is going to see the email on the phone screen. Mm-hmm. And they don't really want to scroll down because they are in a meeting, right? So be always polite, but be go straight to the point. Yeah. Don't use emails to encourage back and forward. Just use email to communicate a decision. Yeah. So in those meetings at the beginning, we're crazy meetings because we're literally two hours and they only give you two to three minutes. <laughs> and, and, and you are with the VP or executives that they don't really want to hear of your problems. They just want to uh, hear the solution, right? right. And, and the plan. So I think the way that we present ourselves to the customer, and it's not only because of me, I mean, Casco has, I mean, great people that is very, very much experienced. I've been learning a lot uh, from every single person uh, within Casco. So the way that we present ourselves to the customers is uh, that we go straight to the point mm -hmm. that we, that we don't, we are not only a supplier that is going to offer them a product. And this is probably something that I also brought into the table. We are a supplier that we're going to understand what are the system 
needs mm -hmm. so we can offer a product that is going to simplify their architecture. Right. I mean, customers, they like to hear those keywords, right? They like to hear those uh, cost effectiveness, reduce your part numbers, uh, improve the packaging, like yeah. things like that. As soon as you mention those words, you, you got their attention. Yeah. So you're in Michigan. We'll switch gears a little bit, and um, it's it's probably the the terrain, especially around downtown Detroit, is a little bit different from from where you were born and raised. But I can see on your back wall there, in your pain room, your training room, uh, you have some uh, bikes and some fitness equipment. And you were telling me beforehand that you're into uh, triathlons. First, how did you get into triath triathlons? And then I guess maybe the, the, the better question is why? Why? I think it's because I'm crazy. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> why is um, I broke my five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny, but that was the main reason why I started doing triathlons. Um, I always be a runner and I play football. I mean, well, soccer. Right, the oh. football, football. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, but yeah, since since always, and my parents in Mexico they encourage the sports same as they encourage school. Mm, okay, that's great. Um, I was never grounded, not because I was a an awesome kid. I mean, I feel bad for my parents now that I'm adult and I understand all what I did, but I, they always encourage uh, sports as part of the discipline. So they never told me, ah, you're grounded, you're not going to the soccer practice. Mm -hmm. No, you have to meet your schedule, you have to be disciplined and committed. So um, sports is always a been part of my life, running and playing soccer. And then one time I injured my knee, never do heavy squats with uh, tequila. Uh, I wish uh, I, I wish I was joking, uh, okay. but that, that's, good. that's that, going in the headlines for this. Yeah, never do squats while on tequila. Yeah. Tequila, never. So I was uh, heading to CrossFit, and we were in a party, and I just suddenly started squatting people with people on my shoulder, oh. <laughs> and um, so I broke my meniscus yeah. on my right knee. After that, I had to have a knee surgery. And it was very difficult for me to run. My brother is an orthopedic surgeon mm -hmm. uh, in Mexico mm -hmm. for one of the professional soccer teams. So, of course, until date, he doesn't really know what I did or how I injured my knee. I told him running, yeah. right? We never told him about the real tequila story. But um, <laughs> uh, one of the things that I had to do in in, in a immediate basis, it was to stop running, right. which was killing, killing me. So I had to develop other love for other sports. Mm -hmm. So that's how I started getting into swimming. So when I signed up for my first Ironman, I didn't even know how to swim. So I really? said, well, I guess, yeah. yeah, so I guess I better learn now to swim. So I have only 20 weeks to learn. So I started learning how to swim in. I bought my first bike. I didn't even have a bike. You know, you but, said yeah. earlier, I'm crazy, and some people sometimes just say that just to be funny. I actually think you mean it here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you didn't know how to swim. So, you didn't have a bike, but keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, so I signed up for my for the first Ironman. It was in, it was in Miami, 2017. Yeah. Right after I signed up, I went to Trek, 
store uh, in Royal Oak and I bought a bike and then I went to the YMCA and signed up for swimming lessons. And I said, okay, if I don't do this to push myself, I better know how to swim because it's in open water. <laughs> right? yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, I just start with a 25 weeks uh, training, training plan. And, um, and I loved it. I love the planning and the organization and how you do the transitions and how you play with your body. And, um, uh, Sometimes you have to wake up at 4 a.m. because on a Thursday you need to run half marathon before going to work. Mm -hmm. So uh, I started doing that. I enjoyed that a lot. I used to have panic attacks every time before going into the pool. Now when everything closed because of COVID, I was uh, desperate to to swim. So I've been swimming two two days now that they just opened the gym and uh, so it's funny how something that you are afraid of, then you develop love uh, and and the sense of accomplishment. I think that was what I loved the most about the sport. I remember in my first triathlon, smiling under the water uh, because I said, oh, I'm swimming in open water now when 25 yeah. weeks ago, I didn't even know how. So wow. I loved it. And now, now that's what I do is uh, I, I plan my week Workout and work. Yeah, you have I enjoy to. That. Yeah, I, I enjoy that very much. And uh, I was ready for my first full Ironman in Sweden, in Sweden uh, but it got canceled because of COVID, so yeah. it got postponed to 2021. I done only two, one in Miami, one in, in Mexico, in mm-hmm. Campeche, a few marathons and things like that. So, so yeah. just for... I mean, I've followed it a little bit throughout the years. I've never even attempted it at all, but... I know a little bit about the history of it, but for people who don't know, if you talk about the Ironman triathlon, the you do swim, bike, run. So swim is how long typically for so an Ironman? So you swim, uh, uh, for the full Ironman distance, you swim 2.4 miles. Right. And then you get out of the water, transition. You get out you... of the water, you transition, uh, running, taking your wetsuit. If, yeah. it's, if, if it was too cold, the water, if it's not too cold, the water, you don't have to wear a sweat. Uh, a wetsuit yeah then before that you leave the bikes everything ready in the transition so you get out of the water and then in within one minute two minutes uh you change your gear you get on the bike and then you ride the bike for 120 miles Mm -hmm. and then you get to the other transition transition two leave the bike change the shoes remove the helmet and start running and you run a full marathon distance 26 26 26.1 miles that's it's unbelievable that that you can just pick it up that that quickly in a sense even though you were a runner and granted that's that's amazing in and of itself to run a marathon but i always think i've always thought that it's the the ultimate test of you know ultimate physical feat to be able to do an ironman triathlon to do a 2.4 mile swim or i think it's two and a half miles something like that which that in and of itself is incredibly difficult it's way longer than it sounds um, yes. 120 mile bike ride is that is that, that could take a full day for most people, and then you just top it off with a regular old running marathon. It's amazing. So what's what's been if just to again put it into perspective when you did the two of them, what was your best time out of the two? So uh, for my half Ironman, I did uh, five hours and 37 minutes. Wow. Um, so I did, my swim was really bad because it was really choppy, the water. Yeah. So I did 36 minutes on the swimming 
and this is for the half Ironman, and yeah. then yeah. two hours and 50 minutes on the bike, mm -hmm. and then uh, one hour and 48 minutes on the, the half marathon. Uh, yes, plus the times that you are on the transitions. But it's funny how perception works, right? So same like we how we present ourselves to the customers, for example, like everything is about perception. Yeah. Um, is is very similar when you are doing a race, the perception of the reality that you have. Once you finish the bike, you your perception is I only have one marathon left. Right? So you you don't really think about everything else or the bike or the swimming. So you say, ah okay, it's just one marathon. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're done. Uh, versus if you probably, if you are just running a marathon, your perception is different because you have a whole marathon to go, right? right. But if when, you are doing, when you are doing an Ironman, it's just you only have one marathon left and, and that's it. And for you, it's usually mind over matter. Like your body can usually handle doing all of these things, but it's really convincing your mind that, you know, and not letting your mind mess with you too much to be able to persevere through those tough times. You're like, I don't know if I want to even bother doing this anymore. Is that accurate for you as well? I mean, yes, I know you said I you're mean, crazy, but. <laughs> yeah, you think, oh my God, you don't have an idea how many things I thought, all right? So you're swimming and then you don't want to think in, okay, maybe there's a shark, right? So you, you, <laughs> well, yeah, there's that too. You, yeah. You're thinking like, uh, what am I going to eat when I finish the race? Do I want a pepperoni pizza or do you want a Hawaiian? And yeah. then I get, I get on the bike and then you have, in the full Ironman distance, you have six hours to, to think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you are not a pro, right, those guys, they are, they are more crazy than I am. But uh, So that's another thing that I like is you are with your thoughts. You have to kind of be friend of yourself uh, first before starting a competition like this because you will, you will spend a lot of time with yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you don't really get along with yourself, and with your thoughts, uh, you're just going to make your life more difficult. But uh, you just wing it. You you have to be patient mm -hmm. and keep running. And then you do math. And then if I'm running at this time, you do more math. And then yeah. you say, oh, crap. Uh, okay, I guess I have 23 more miles to do the math right. And, and then you just suddenly you you are 10 hours, 11 hours, and you finish the race. And and then you're ready to have that beer and Hawaiian pizza. Yes, that's true. And maybe do some uh, squats while on tequila, you know, right? to top it all I mean, that's what you think like, that You are thinking in the race, oh, after the race, I'm going to party and I'm going to do this. Of course, no, after yeah. the race, you just want to sleep for three days. <laughs> well, I, give, I give you a tremendous amount of credit for doing that. Um, and maybe this segues uh, perfectly into this is the last thing I've been asking people lately. And, and maybe this will be a, a unique answer or a couple answers from you. So if you were stranded on a deserted island by yourself, what music would you listen to? That's a good question, right? Uh, because especially being Mexican, everybody's expecting salsa, right? But uh, not really, not salsa. <laughs> it's your call. Um, I like chill house music. Okay. Uh, there is like this type of music called funky music, yeah. funky house, jazz house, which is like a little upbeat. Some people, some of my friends, they call elevator music. Yeah, <laughs> smoother. I, for me, smoother. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that, that, that's what I listen the most. How about if you had a book? What book would you bring? So right now I'm reading a great book. Is is uh, 
Noah, I don't remember the last name of the author, but it's called 20, 21 Lessons for the 21 Century. Okay. It's a, it's a great book to read. Um, I'm reading it and listening it half, half reading, half uh, audiobook. Yeah. Using on my, on my commute when I need to go to the office. I, I will say that this is, this is the second time I'm reading that book. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, I really like it. So I guess probably if I'm in an island, I will read it a third or a fourth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And if you had an iPad with you and a, a two kilowatt F-150 that you could plug in and watch movies then um, with the Casco product on it, uh, what movie would you bring with you? What movie would you want to watch? Probably because of my nieces and my nephews, I developed this uh, love for cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> so I like this movie, Coco. Oh, it's great. I don't know if you have a yeah. chance to see it. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Yeah. And at the end of that movie, if I am straining an island, probably I will be a little bit more upbeat. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so probably that will be the movie that I will watch over and over. Well, that's great, Carlos. I Again, I appreciate you taking time to do this today. It's been enlightening. I really enjoyed hearing your story today, and I think other people will as well. So I appreciate you, you taking the Thank time to do this. Uh, best of luck to you um, in with the Casco team, uh, with your family, and best of luck on training for the triathlon next year as well. Thank you, Chris. I mean, this has been a, it's the first time that I'm doing something like this, and uh, I'm always excited to try new things and to meet new people. So this has been great. It's been a pleasure to meet you, Chris. And uh, Hopefully we'll be in touch in the future. And yeah, best of luck for, for Casco, for Ansenol, and for these coming challenging times. 